Welcome to Tuesdays with Andrea. It's the inspiration station for everyday people guiding humanity forward. I'm your host, Andrea Rios McMillan, and every week I pursue conversations that matter with people who can relate to the common struggles we all face. You'll get to know the person behind the profession and find commonality with people of all ages, cultures, and backgrounds. Listen as friends, neighbors, and coworkers offer meaningful, personal explorations of modern life and the values we hold dear, all for the purpose of strengthening and uplifting others. All right, everyone. Today we have a very special guest. We have Kiwana Bull-Reese. I know her as Kim. Uh, She is a fellow North Central College alum. And so shout out to our North Central College family. Shout out. Shout out. And then we know each other through a mutual friend, Lisa Petaway. Another shout out. Hey, Lisa. Lisa. Kim is a licensed clinical therapist. And the discussion that we're going to have today is how do we help a hurting nation heal uh, with everything going on, with civil unrest, with um, talking about race and systemic um, injustice and uh, ways that we can express our views and ways that we can keep ourselves safe and, and truly advocate for the needs that we have as, as humans, as people, but also advocating um, for Black Lives Matter. This is a perspective that Kim has a lot of expertise in as a clinical therapist, but also as chairman of a, the NAACP DuPage County branch. And so I wanted to um, ask her to be on to share some insight onto um, ways that we can talk and, and move that conversation forward about how do we have these discussions? How do we know who we are? How do we um, talk about this in ways um, in which help us heal ourselves, but also help us be an ally and a friend to others? And how do we be mindful? And I I wanted to just get your perspective too, Kim, on on what's been going on on your end. Um, So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here this morning. And, and tell me, you know, the last time I saw her was about a month ago because we live around the same area and all of a sudden we're walking, running, walking. And, and Kim's like, Hey family. Do you remember that? Yes. You were, you were on one side of the sidewalk and I was um, on the other side. And so, yes, I do. I was so pleased to see you. It was so yeah. Great. But it's Corona times too. So it's not like we could stop and talk. I don't think, um, I know we weren't wearing masks on our, our end. So how have you been, you know, let's start with Corona and just 2020 in general. How have you been doing on your end? And what have you been seeing from a clinical therapist perspective on the ways that people are, are dealing with the virus, the fear, um, and also, you know, just trying to stay healthy and safe? First of all, I want to say that I love that you you indicated like how can we bring healing? So looking at from a perspective of healing of ourselves and then help bring healing towards others. And part of that, what I'm seeing is that really expanding one's awareness of what's going on around them. How do they see themselves and how have they been socialized or raised? And so when you look at how someone has been socialized or raised within their home, you look at the values and beliefs that have been imparted into them. So who are they? So not only about how do they look, how are they perceived, but also you're looking in, it's, a, it's really like a heart issue, how you feel and how do you move. And so 
um, when dealing with our clients, expanding their awareness so that they can kind of look at how was I raised, how was I socialized, and then how do I project my values and beliefs towards others? Mm-hmm. So like empathy, like it's about love and it's about caring. And then it's like, do I know what asking, like, do you know how that feels? Now, so from what I'm seeing, particularly from my, um, I would say, talking about building awareness, like look at my Caucasian clients who this is a time when, I mean, if, if that, you know, your, your eyes are being open. And so what is happening is that instead of saying, you know, you, you hear this white privilege, but as a therapist, you're asking, have you, do you know what it is to feel loved, right? Do you know what it is to feel rejected? Because when anyone is able to identify with those core feelings, then you can identify with your neighbor. You can identify with someone who doesn't look like you because we have all felt those emotions. Mm-hmm. So I think that is like from a therapist you know, perspective, identifying those like core emotions and those core feelings. And so once they're able to identify that, then you're able to, then they're able to relate to others. Mm-hmm. When they come to you as a client, are they at that point willing and open to be self-reflective and to open up to the level where they can see, Hey, this is how I see the world, or this is how, um, I, I, what triggers me and maybe rejection is something that really hits home for me. Is this something that the average person who is not in therapy is aware of? What's that step to being aware of even understanding ourselves in that way? That is a very good question. So um, to be quite frank, most people aren't aware of these biases, these implicit biases that that are, you know, circling, you know, uh, are guiding us and how we, how we move and behave, but it's not brought into our awareness. So no, most people are not. How you make them more aware of it is by really kind of questioning uh, their experiences. Within the clinical world, you know, there are a lack of um, uh, counselors of color. There's a significant push to bring uh, to get people of color, African Americans, Latina, into that counseling profession because it's dominated by primarily Europeans or white Caucasian, and so bringing that perspective, the the, the clin- clinician's perspective and awareness into that relationship is, I think, is that part of is what expands yeah. Uh, yeah. awareness and and critical about asking those questions. How. How did you know who you who you are? Like how did how did it come to be that mm-hmm. you were you know this? Um, it could be this this beautiful white woman or this beautiful black girl with these brown eyes. As you had this curly beautiful Latina girl with this uh, curly hair. How did you become aware of that? Mm-hmm. So it, that's critical. Like how did you become aware of that? That's interesting because we went through uh, something similar where. After John's mother passed about two and a half years ago, he, it was a, he's an only child. He adored his mom. They were so close. She lived in Miami. He lived here. And so they, you know, they, it was long distance, very difficult for the both, but still very, very, they spoke every day. She died suddenly of cancer. And during that time afterwards, I would say for the last n- next two years, 
probably, uh, was just a darker, deeper time. And it affected almost everything. And we had gone through like couples therapy and counseling sessions before. And, you know, some great women, some great men. That was the first time when I realized um, he might need a black therapy. He needs a black therapist. He wasn't identifying with the women. He wasn't. And, and as great as they were, they were great, right? Um, and some were more Christian-based. He's not, my husband's not as religious, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that wasn't working. The women weren't as working because he kind of had this like, um, it wasn't working for him. And we had, we struggled to find a therapist that was black, that could understand his plight growing from, you know, Miami projects to coming here to, you know, going to an all white college and then marrying into an interracial marriage and and then having biracial children. I wish that color weren't a factor, right? I wish that race and and that part didn't, but it does. And it did. And that's something that that was what made me realize that I'm interested to hear your perspective on that. So I, I think it does, right? I think, I think um, race does matter in this regard because you, when you think about it, so you just think about like as a child typically, or, um, and you're looking, you're, 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 you're in middle school and you're looking for your, you're looking for your people, right? But actually what you're looking for is identifying factors that are external. Mm-hmm. So you were looking around, who can I hang out with that maybe I find externally some type of kinship? And that's who you initially tra- uh, you attract to. So yeah. with, within the therapy, so then you find out now they maybe look like I do. Do we have similar interests? Do we have other things that connect us? Because mm-hmm. we hope to connect via race, but oftentimes, sometimes what if you don't? Yeah, for which is which, which is what happened in our case. We couldn't we couldn't find someone that we connected with that was black that had the same um, upbringing as him that was still accepted by our insurance and our in network. So we found luckily we did find this other guy. He's white and he's phenomenal. He is just great, and he was able to connect with John on on knowing what the struggle of growing up um, with struggle felt like, and they were able to to build trust and rapport, but it took a while and it wasn't the first, the the trust wasn't immediate if that's, if that makes sense. And I just remember talking, I'm like, man, I I, I understand that the world is different. There's representation in this way matters in all professions. And this is a profession where I think is, is needed more of. It's needed more. So I'm going to agree with you. I, the, the calls that I have been getting in lately, um, has a, um, Andrea has been uh, clients are specifically requesting you're they're specifically requesting someone of you know african-american descent they're specifically requesting someone of latino descent they're specifically making these requests because what happens is they want to feel like they like you understand them they don't want to have to tell you any client they don't want to really have to tell you their history yeah they want you to be able to understand at least okay i know what you're talking about yeah i get it yeah, yeah i get that i've been there in some in some respect and i have found that with um the clients that i have my african-american clients when they have had other clients uh other counselors it sometimes the, the rapport is rebuilt more easily mm-hmm So you're like, okay, I can understand that. You may not can understand every aspect of it, but I think there is something, if you're African-American, 
um, counselor, if you're a Latino counselor, you understand with raised in America, Mm -hmm. you understand, you have some understanding of the systemic oppression or the systems and you understand struggle. Mm -hmm. So, um, and you don't want to spend your time trying to convince people like this exists. This is real. No, what I went through and then have to convince. And, and because some people don't always see it from that lens and that's where it becomes, you know, it's just, it it seems like a wasted session. Like I just talked about something that I really shouldn't have had to explain for a whole hour. Not for a whole, not for a whole hour. I think um, most therapists, they do want some background, but you're looking for, you want this, you do want an instant connection because if yeah. you're going to do any like deep work, we know that you, you're going to need to build trust. You're going to need to build, they call this uh, attunement. Like, Hey, I understand you. And if you can build that fairly quickly, you can do the deep dive and you can under, you can uncover hurt. You can undercover rejection. Now all of that has no color, but, but you can see, you know, the underpinnings of that. Like, where did that come from? Yeah. And, the speed and of trust mm-hmm. it makes a, a big difference there because then it allows you to do the deeper work without having to focus on the upfront getting you know getting through the the first layers. I would yes, say. yeah, because the wall is up. The wall is up. So the explain, wall is up. So what is that deep work that you do, and how do you do it? I, I you know I I see through your specialties and your practice, and you talk about psychodynamic therapy and trauma informed therapy. What does that entail and what benefit does that do for the average person? I'm so glad you said psychodynamic. (laughs) (laughs) So is it all with the mind? Is it all mind-based? Is is that what it is? So psychodynamic, it really is an integrative approach, right? So psychodynamic deals with, first, you have to look at your back at your past to see because things often or, or you know originate from past experiences particularly childhood experiences and or um, there may have been some trauma mm-hmm. so you have to look at how that influences how you how you behave how you react how you protect yourself mm-hmm. and so um, but also so looking back at the past making meaning of the past so all conflict almost any conflict has to do with um, making meaning. So if I can't make meaning of why that thing happened to me, if I can't, you, you know, you may not understand it, but if you're not able to say, how can I grow from that or, 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 or that shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Or what did I learn from that? What meaning what, does it serve in my life? That's it. Mm-hmm. That is it. So how you make meaning. And then when you're able to integrate your meat, make the meaning, integrate those negative experiences as well as those positive experiences. What happens is that that brings growth and that brings awareness. Mm-hmm. It, it also tells you how you're protecting yourself. So based on trauma, based on rejection, based on your social experiences, your lived experiences, what's the wall that you're guarding your heart, right? Mm. You're guarding your heart because there lies the feelings and then from the feelings, which could be, um, you know, I feel sad because I saw this remind me of this is the trigger. This reminded me of the object or the trigger. And then now you have these thoughts. These mm-hmm. thoughts come from your past experiences. Now I'm going to give you um, lodged in the hippocampus. I tell my the hippocampus is where we store memories, right? That's, in, that's a component of the brain, correct? 
Mm-hmm. So it's where you throw, where you restore your best memories, like your first kiss, you know, your, how you felt love. That's where it's stored, right? Okay. Even in your trauma, your worst experiences, like, okay, keep a lookout. That person doesn't look right, right? Yeah. So it's sort of campus, right? Okay. Um, and so your client is looking back at somewhat their experiences, whether they are young, a young client or they're an older client. Mm-hmm. And then what makes them either fight or flight? What makes them fearful? What makes them guarded? I'm going to guard. I, the first thing is protect myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it's making them, it's asking those questions. Yeah. I, I like to begin with favorite memories, right? Knowing that, how did you know that you were loved? What did you feel? Cause everything begins with a feeling. Mm-hmm. So if I feel happy, if I feel confident, my thinking may be different and then I behave differently. Right. But if I feel rejected, that's going to, it's going to, you're going to see it in my body. Yeah. You're going to see it in my posture. You're, you're definitely going to see it in my thoughts. Mm-hmm. What are those common ways that we guard ourselves? What are the common ways that we build barriers and walls to, to protect ourselves that you see amongst your clients that really keep us from achieving or moving forward or, you know, growing to higher levels? Uh, one, one of um, the ways that I see is... Um, um, defense mechanism is, is like avoidance. It's like sometimes we don't we want to avoid that very thing that has um, hurt us. Hurt us, right? Yeah. And this this is interesting. Okay, I, I have something I want to show you, and I I didn't even I didn't even think about this. Okay, what is that? This is my object relation. So it Ooh, is. Okay. Yeah, it's it's compartment compartments, right? It's Are you gonna pull that out and ask me what I see? Is this like a <laughs> psychology thing? <laughs> I see hearts of butterflies. Well, you know, this, this is one of my, it hasn't been painted yet, but I use this for my clients. So this okay. is just my raw box. I'll be, I bring it to the office and my client, we work with this. So there's a fear. So this is my fear box, right? And okay. um, so the client has to identify what are their fears. And so it will be painted mostly like a black. I, most of my clients put black on this box. And then we put things in there that they fear from their childhood because it's going to come back up. Yeah. Things yeah. Trauma, it will appear its head in your relationships and your marriage. So they name like a fear. The easiest things to talk about are the things that make us happy. Mm-hmm. So it's soliciting that those things. And then how making the connection between your childhood experiences and how that relates to now, like what are the things that make you happy? Is there a pattern? Psychodynamic also deals with patterns, breaking cycles and patterns. And so as we, anxiety, so fear is linked to, you know, fear, this is my fear box. There's some anxiety, my behaviors is my little box. Mm-hmm. How do I behave? How do I see it in my body? So this is a very, this may seem childlike. No, but it's but a good visualization, brings, visual tool. Yeah. And in order to sometimes to function in our lives with our trauma, with our you know, our, the mask that we put on, we compartmentalize those mm-hmm. things so that we yeah. can function, uh, have a healthier uh, way of functioning. So this is one objects. I'm very, I use a lot of objects. I use a lot of exper- uh, experiential therapy, but avoidance. Mm-hmm. Avoidance is, um, um, they use that strategy. Most clients, minimalization, 
Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it wasn't so bad, you know, yeah. that, that happens to, to everyone. No, that's not true. Right. And that's kind of the same strategies that we're seeing with the Black Lives Matter right now um, in some of the discussions. I think the world, and I'm interested also in your perspective on this, um, from what I'm seeing is people are now no longer avoiding the conversation as much as in the past. They're open. I feel like the world is watching. The world is wanting to come together. We just don't know how. And I think some of that is um, finding our place. Like what is our place and what is our role in trying to establish um, harmony, trying to establish peace, but also trying to create change. Because anytime change comes, there has to be a disruption. And no one really likes disruption. No one mm-hmm. wants to be disrupted. Just the, mm-hmm. the term itself, right, is an inconvenience Absolutely. to how we lived a life before. And I think with coronavirus, that was a disruption. And now mm-hmm. with Black Lives Matter, th- this has always been happening. But now people are saying, I see it. I understand it a little bit better. And um, even groups, major groups, and, and aside from just political groups, right, but major corporations are starting to, to really uh, take risk in acknowledging the conversation. From your perspective, what do you see on your end? And how do you relate this back to psychology? What's the psychology of all of this? <laughs> okay, so I, I think you're right on um, point when you say that people are people are more aware. So this has always been going on, but what has often been happening is that it hasn't been placed in our face collectively, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's always been some type of of just an excuse that happened because yeah, you no, know, anything bad happens. You know, we break when anything bad happens or a negative consequence, it it must be because there's a bad behavior, you know, was the antecedent. That thing happened before, so this must be. It's we're more we're, we we have more a view. Mm-hmm. So with with social media, with um, it's very pervasive. It's in your face now, so there's no denying it. Yeah. Um, what can we do um, for those that are? have become aware, right? Mm-hmm. It is really, really comes down to, I know it's going to be very, very simple, very, 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 very simple, but some people make it so complex. It is treating others like you want to be treated. I know that's so, it, it seems so simple, but, but it is just that way. So it's, it's putting your, your feet, you know, your foot in someone else's shoes. And then it's, it's asking, how would you have wanted that to happen if that were your son or if that were your husband? How would you want to be treated? That is it. Now we use all these psychological terms to um, blame. Mm -hmm. That's another one. So you blame others for what has happened, but we all have an individual part to play. So part of that is just doing what's right because it's right and treating others as you would like to be treated. It sounds so simple, but really it could cause great healing. So, Mm. and how have you been coping personally with everything? Like, how are you doing? What are the conversations you're having with your family, um, with your boys, with your husband, with this is so, this is so interesting within my own family. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, Just this little bit, it's a very, very short snippet. I grew up in the South. 
in, in the, the Delta, Mississippi, the heart of the Delta. I did not know racism until I came to the North, which was Chicago. Really? I didn't know it at all. Is did it not because know it. you grew up with, with people, with black people? Is it because you were, um, like, is that what it was? I think it was, was because I was, we were protected. Yeah. So we were protected by the elders. So, you know, children really had a were valued. And so now as looking back, I knew there was sort of like a white section of town, uh-huh. uh, but my, but I, I was raised by an educator who was known as, you know, she made the peace. She educated all these, these students. She was, you know, so I, so I think the, the elders, yeah. The moms and dads, the grandmoms, they protected the children from like the biases that they experienced. So if they told you when the lights go off, you need to be home. So we're like, we need to be home. Why we need to be home? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or do not go down that, you know, gravel, uh, the, we have gravel is in the country. You know, we didn't ask really like why. We listened. But there was a reason because something happened down that gravel road that if you were caught, if something happened to you, you know, bad people were there. And so yeah. we were very protected. So it was not until like, although we had what we had white neighbors, you know, we, we played, we, we, we didn't see, I didn't see color like that as a child, but yeah. it was not until yeah. I came to the North, uh, went to an integrated school. And I remember, you know, running my hands across the lockers and I like this. And I stopped at a young boy's name. His name was J-E-S-U-S. Jesus. Jesus. I said, who would name your child Jesus? <laughs> so, um, I lived, you know, but as a, I had television, but, but I went to a magnet school in Oak Park and we missed our bus because we're bused in. And we had to, we knew how to get, we knew how to get to Oak Park. And so we were walking through the neighborhood and we heard run and run, run and run. I've never been called an in. I was a probably uh, 12 years old. I've never been called an in. So the kids, we went running. We were just going to run. Yeah. And for somehow we were laughing, but we did not know the gravity of that. Right. And what is an in? Mm-hmm. What is it? What is it? Where are what? And I'm not going to stop to ask the question. Yeah, that's cr- so. so. That's interesting that you didn't experience um, discrimination due to the color of your skin while you were younger in the South, and then when you came up here to an integrated school, that was really the first time that you were exposed to that. How did that change you? You know, it really. It, it, you know, when I went home to talk to my mom and she said, you know, she was quite concerned, but she always brought it back to, you know, who you are, right? You are bright. You treat everyone well. And she always talked about like two by two. That was very important. Like you never go alone. You always go two by two. And it wasn't delved into, you know, deeply, but the reinforced, you're like, you're, you're beautiful, you know, I'm not that you're beautiful, you're your bride, and those people should be ashamed of themselves. So that was the context. Because um, I had a very diverse set of friends. Mm-hmm. So who was around my table, although I was taught 
different, you know, to love one and to love your brother, to love your, treat your neighbor, why everyone came to our home. Mm-hmm. But that, that was a belief. Right. I, I believe that. Yeah. And I knew that there was evil and I knew that there was good. And was that the beginning of a different reality for you? Did this open the door to, um, I now need to be on guard. I need to be a little bit more protected. Um, or here in the segregated school, I'm not looked at as the same. Did that ever happen to you? Or did you pretty much have that fortitude to kind of drown that out and look at that as just a one incident and I'm going to move forward with my life and not let this get to me? I think it's very important how to, I think it's very important to have, um, they call these protective factors, right? Who's in your group? You know, who's lifting you up? Who's supporting you? So I think we've always had a strong sense of family who uplift. We had diversity. When I say diversity, white people, Latina people, Arab people, French people, we had that around our table. Although we were in like a predominantly African-American uh, black neighborhood on the West Side of Chicago, we, we, had, we, we had that exposure. So yeah. it, was, it just became you know, relevant and more, my eyes were open, like, okay, this, yeah, you have to be more careful. Mm-hmm. So if when I took the bus to, you know, Oak Park at that time, yeah, I was a little bit like, hey, who's, who's riding in the cars? Yeah. It just made your, yeah. mm-hmm. just, just more aware, more aware. So, and how, so then from there, you end up going to North Central College, which is predominantly white. It's not diverse. Was that experience different for you? Was it hard? Did you ever face any difficulty there being a minority in higher education, predominantly white Naperville town? Um, what was that experience for you? So we, you mentioned our very good friend, uh, Lisa Petaway. Yeah. So we, we're, in the, we're in the same class. And I'm not quite sure, you know, as I look at students today who are on that campus, if the cohesiveness yeah. So we truly had a cohesive uh, group of uh, young college men and women who stuck stuck together, you know, in the face of you know racism. You're you're stopping someone stopping you, but we also had a staff and faculty who would come to your aid. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, my 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 when I went to North Central, what was most profound to me. Um, is that it gave me an understanding of wealth. Mm. It, it expanded my, it, it really opened my awareness to, um, you know, building wealth. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm, I'm going to say, because we had such a close, a close circle of, of friends, you know, primarily African-Americans, our, our group was close. When we did experience racism, we collectively addressed it. Mm-hmm. So then you didn't feel like singled out. Yeah. I think that was my most profound kind of experience about wealth. The former years, the critical years were in my, you know, adolescence, you know, understanding how it was perceived from my family. Did I have protective factors? And then, um, and, and I just really, desire a diverse group of friends. Yeah. And you are a friend to everyone. To know you is to love you. You have that such a bubbly, light personality. Um, I joke with my mom because my mom has friends 
like friend friends that are younger than me, right? They're not my friends. They're like her friends because she's that type of person. You meet her and mm -hmm. like, she just is friends to everyone. You just want to be her friend. That's mm -hmm. like your personality. You just, you just lively and, and also very conscious and aware and, and, and supportive and, and advocate. And um, I think it's worth to note because when you guys went to North Central College and your group, which was probably maybe a few, I don't know how many years before our group went, uh, by that time, you guys had established a really good support system for all of us. So we, I think my sister and I, when we went to North Central, we too had a really close group um, and it was a bridge program to help the minorities acclimate to a white college. That's what it was. It was premier. Yeah. But what it yeah. does is it forms such strong bonds that, uh, you know, we're still friends to this day. We don't see each other, you know, but once a year, uh, but you pick up where you left off and luckily we had um, your guys's group to lean on and even as we're growing professionally even as we're looking uh, in families and raising our kids i think that's important to have a network of diversity of thought diversity of background diversity of color and diversity of of geography and and ideas and that's i think what you're you're saying is that that plays such an important role in being able to to thrive um I, I and so you just said something. Okay. What? So what if you didn't have this um, sense of like um, diverse, diversity, right, and support? What if you didn't have that in your childhood? What if you're like 27, 30, and now you're awake? Yep. You know, say, let's get woke. Yep. So it is an intentional endeavor to bring mm -hmm. someone that does not look like you. Um, someone whose experience is different, you bring them actually to the table. That's very, very intentional because then what you find out, you're going to find out that among all of the experiences, you most likely are alike, more alike than different. Mm -hmm. And so I, I asked my fellow colleagues who are um, predominantly Caucasian, like who's at your table? Because mm -hmm. that's going to tell me a lot about you. Yeah. And so who's I, at your table and who are you actually listening to yeah. At the table, who actually yeah. gets who gets the vote, right? Who like who who's, who's the person who you? you I, this is where you know tables are, are tables, and we can invite people, but it's not it's worthless if we don't listen half the time, right? Like that's where I think sometimes I, I get frustrated with the token minority in groups. Do you ever? This is now. This is me venting to a therapist. Look, I get frustrated with the token minority in groups, and then you're invited to the table, but then no one takes you seriously sometimes, right? And so, how can that? How can we translate that on a larger level to where the voices are being heard, and there's actual strategy for a goal or a, an inclusivity for power to be redistributed among a wider variety of people? Okay, that's such a good question because right now I'm up late at night <clears throat> working on the, on those things. So it's a strategy. So you're you're at the table, and it really takes um, the other folk who are at the table to commit. Yes. So you just are. Is this rhetoric? And so right. when you get a commitment, if it's not written, it it's not a commitment. It never happened. If it's not written down, I mean, particularly in uh, you look at uh, established institutions, if it's not written, 
it's, it's, it's probably rhetoric. And then it, what are the specific action plans? Mm-hmm. There has to be an action, like a, a short term that you're going to put into place immediately. Mm-hmm. So it's looking at the top of the organization and getting the commitment in writing and then actionable plans that can be seen. And also you're continually speaking it. Mm-hmm. So not only is it written, it's heard, and there's an actionable plan that can be implemented within, you say immediate. There's some things that you can do absolutely immediately. What are so, those things? What are they? So, yeah. oh, that's so good. That's, so if you're concerned about diversity. Yes. Let's say we're an organ, we're talking to an organization now that's listening, leaders of organizations, and they want to hear from what are those things we can do right now? So if you are, if you are talking about diversity and you have the power and control and you see most companies are doing it right now, they're saying, you know, we're going to make sure that we want 15% of our organization at this end, uh, at this level to be made of uh, diverse clients and your diverse clients are already competent. Yeah. But it's very intentional. Mm-hmm. So what's the endeavor that you're going to do, you know, from HR? Yeah. This is how, so you build, you build that into your framework. You build that into your a strategic framework. And your recruiting pipeline. Yeah. And it, and, it, and it will be in your mission and your vision. You'll be your vision, but then you'll see your mission. So it mm-hmm. should be like one, two, three, one of, you know, three of those. Mm-hmm. So just changing the culture. So if you believe in changing the culture, yeah. this is necessary. Mm-hmm. From an NAACP um, perspective, what are those current initiatives that are being worked on from a local level that we can be mindful of or ways that we can support or help movement there? So from the, so the position that I am currently in is the NAACP um, chairman for the education committee. So I'm very, I'm looking at what's happening to our children. Mm-hmm. So systemically. So I'm, we're looking at policies and practices. If it's not in the policy, you know, if it's not say that we as an institution within our, our district, whatever, whatever district you're in, yeah. we value we value our students. We value the their uniqueness, their ethnic origin, their race. We we value all of that. Now the second thing is we do not tolerate. So now it's a statement. We um, we do not we do not tolerate discrimination. Now with that. You know, what if someone uh, uses racial language that's a derogatory, that hurts the esteem, that bullies, or, you know, there has to be a policy that says these are the consequences. Yeah. So that is what we're really looking at um, from a uh, systemic, from a systemic perspective, is yeah. policies and practices, and then their consequences. Um, if people have not been moved by the heart, that we're doing the best that we can to help our students, then we have to move them by looking at their policies and by them not adhering to their policies. There are consequences per, like could be legal consequences. And Mm -hmm. that's when you look at the civil rights history, it it started like that. We ask, you know, um, you look at the boycott, you know, know, the bus boycott. Right. We ask you to treat us fairly. We ask that we want, we don't want to sit at the, the back. So then that didn't happen. So it was sustained. It happened like a year. It didn't mm-hmm. happen overnight. 
then it affected the monetary, the law. Right. And that's really the goal right now is to implement policy that protects people from systemic racism and really going after economy or at least corporations that control economy and those and getting leaders on board with the vision and mission of not accepting or tolerating discrimination practices within their groups and within their peers is really the goal. Absolutely. Because if, if you have diversity within your organization, it really enhances like creativity. You yeah. get to work to different folks, you get different perspectives. So you, you get to hone in your, your strategy um, on how to be more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's studies that show diversity um, improves bottom line in so many ways, not just in, in ideas and innovation, but also revenue. Uh, yes. Yes. And also customer, you know, even with, uh, I, th- I feel like this new generation, this next generation, um, the one after millennial, so millennial generation Z and X, I think they're, they inspire me. They're really, uh, united and they're motivating and, and, and mobilizing for causes. Um, yeah. but they're, and they're also consumers and they hold a lot of consumer power and they also are going to be the future of the workforce and they want to work for organizations that have a mission that really want to yes. people. Yes. Um, and so that's, I think where we just have to be more mindful of as leaders going forward is what are we offering people and are we offering what they really want? Which And what you said is, at the end of the day, all we really want as people is to be accepted and loved and to treat people the way that we want to be treated. That's the core. Isn't that crazy? Is that, that's the core core? The core core is, you know, I, I want to be... I want to find my people and your people look like whatever the people. Yeah, they don't have to look exactly like you. Like you're my people. And obviously we look different and we're different age groups, right? You're my people. (laughs) I want to be accepted and I want to be loved. Yeah. That is is really at the the heart of, um, even in practice, you you look at the core of, except for, you know, anxiety. But, But every person wants to be accepted, loved, and validated. Yeah. And that's it. And so um, this next generation, um, the disease, disease generation, I think they they really they're looking at the person inside. They're looking yeah. at it's not fair. Like why would they do that? So, mm-hmm. um, what made you go into this field? What what spurred your interest in psychology and wanting to to help other people unpack their their uh, their stories? I, I think it has always been. Um, Really, I think I was just made for it. So I've always, as I look back through my life, so now this is making meaning. You have to make meaning. So, you know, sometimes things don't work out as we plan them to work out. But as I look back in my life, I've always been a helper. I've always kind of been like a teacher. I've had, um, I've taught uh, taught in college. I've been a counselor in college. But uh, what was most profound was that when I would see students and they you know, work selling. And then I saw a divot. Like what happened? Yeah. Like what yeah. happened? Something happened in their families. Something happened in their relationships that affected their, their mood and their feelings. And I want to help. So I think that um, has always been there. Um, my mother used to say when I was in college, she said, you should be a, um, 
a teacher. She said you should be a teacher and or you should be like a uh, theologian. And you're basically both. (laughs) You know what? I said, no, there's no money in that. That's what I said. I said, I'm going to be an accountant. I'm going to go into finance and accounting. And I did that. I did that for many years. But I found, again, it's circling back to the things that I, that truly make me happy. Yeah. Who would you say helped you the most or, you know, made you who you are? Like, what, who are the three most pivotal people in your life that you can think of that helped like shape you? Wow. That is so good. Okay. Outside, I, you know, my grandmother, my grandmother was a, an educator. Um, she had one leg, but she was the best educator and, um, she helped raise two children. I have a, a another sister, um, my mother and, um, I, I just have so many people along the way, but um, I'm going to, I'm going to have to say where I am right now, it would have to be, you know, my pastor. And so in, in this regard, when I was making a decision, if I should become a teacher, I had multiple degrees and or a counselor, um, the advice that was given to me was consult your inner circle. If your inner circle says the teacher rises to the top, then the counseling supports that. But if the counseling rises to the top, then the teacher would support that. And me and my inner circles, uh, they said, you know, counselor. And so that really kind of changed a little bit of the route uh, for me to go to go ahead and go back and get my degrees. And and, and were work. they right? I think they were right. <laughs> so that's what we do now. We ask our inner circle, like, hey, should I go right or left? <laughs> because those, your inner circle, your protective factors. Yeah, the protective, the tribe. The tribe. Mm-hmm. Who, who's your tribe? Who, who has your best interest, who you can trust, who you um, are close enough and accessible enough to be able to consult with. And your tribe are the people who also see you hurt. Yeah. They see you when you're, we have this facade when we're strong and we put our best selves forward. Mm. But the, of the matter is that in transforming, you have some periods in your life that are depressing. Yeah. That you, that you have your own fears and you mm-hmm. need help mm-hmm. to not fall in the hole. Please don't let me fall in the hole as you're building your own awareness. Right. And having someone who you can be vulnerable with and but yet still uplift you so important i'm so glad you said that that is so true your tribe are the people who you allow to see you hurt and vulnerable and we don't do that often and that's not a lot of people that you're willing to go to that level with no mm-hmm. that that circle is very close it, and, yeah. and it should be it really should be but those are the people who will uplift you those are the people who will help you when you're you're most at your most vulnerable to say, Hey, you know what? We've been there and this is what we're going to do. A, we're going to get our bodies moving. We're going to think differently. Yeah. We're gonna look at, you know, change the narrative. Mm-hmm. I you love know, that. Change the narrative. Five, the five, this five years may have been, it may not have been what you thought it, but how has it built you? Yeah. How has it enhanced you? Yeah. Cause you don't have a struggle. You know, it's, it's very difficult to meet someone 
who has not had a struggle and able to lead. All leaders have had some type of a struggle. Yeah. Had to push past through something. In order to say you're a leader, what are you leading through? Yeah. That's good. Mm. So Man, good. Kim, this is so so good. good. Oh, I'm going to leave. I'm going to, we're going to close on that. That was good. I can't wait to um, be able to have people hear this. And I'm I'm sure that's going to help someone recognize who their tribe is and recognize that struggle is okay. um, And that being vulnerable is, is how we grow. Um, And then also being willing to bring people into the table to build more diversity and to build more inclusivity and then think about it from not just our own lens and our own tribe, but from a larger perspective um, of of society, truly. And lean in. And lean in. Lean in. All right. With no judgment, but lean in. (laughs) Isn't that hard though, leaning in with no judgment? Like, oh, you're leaning too far. You're leaning a little to the right. You're leaning a little to the left. Um, but lean in anyway, because you're interested. Yeah. Yeah. Because you care. This Mm -hmm. is something that if you want it, you're willing to put yourself out. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I think, you know, you, you got a little bit of counseling in you as well. (laughs) Oh girl. No, I, I call you so you can give the counseling (laughs) and I'll share anything. I'm an open book. I will talk my butt off, but I am not the one to give advice. (laughs) (laughs) but you are you know thank you so much thanks kim thanks for coming on and i um i'll keep in touch is there anything else before we get off um where do you practice how can people find you so people can find me i practice at edgewood clinical service in naperville you know i give the general number um, 630-428-7890 so we're in naperville and i will be happy to help anyone 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 oh all right okay well thank you you have a good one i will talk to you later okay then thank you bye thank you for listening to tuesdays with andrea there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there and i appreciate you making the time to listen to mine if you like this show and want to know more check out tuesdayswithandrea.com or please leave a review on itunes or drop a line in the youtube comment section until next time please stay kind in your mind nice on the web and stay hella hopeful in your heart